Chapter 24 Season 7 Somebody didn't pay him enough. It was absolutely asinine. The sixth season of The Office still had four episodes to air when Steve Carell went over to England to promote his new movie, Date Night. Near the end of an interview, he was asked if he might stay on the show after his contract expired at the end of season seven. I don't think so, he said. I think that will probably be my last year. It was the first time the public heard that Carell was likely to leave the show, but his departure from the show was much more complicated than anyone knew at the time. Brian Whittle I sat with him one time, and he told me the story. He was doing a radio interview, and he haphazardly mentioned, almost unconsciously, that it might be his last season. He didn't plan on saying it out loud, and he hadn't decided anything. He was kind of thinking out loud, but he did it in an interview in public, and it created news. Then what he said was, the people connected to the show had no reaction to it. They didn't call him to say, what, you want to leave? He said he didn't get any kind of response from them. When he realized he didn't get any kind of response from them, he thought, oh, maybe they don't really care if I leave. Maybe I should go do other things. So I think that made it easier, because when the news broke that he was considering it, the people that are in charge of keeping him there didn't make a big effort to do so until afterward. Ben Silverman. The executive at the network who managed it managed it so poorly, but I think they could have kept him even longer. He wanted to stay on the show, and it was totally blown. The network boss at the time didn't go see him, didn't talk to him, didn't listen to him. This was when the network lost its ability to manage talent for a while, whether it was the Conan-Leno situation or losing Carell on the show. None of it had to happen. All of it could have been managed, but no one would talk to the talent. Jeff Zucker I vaguely remember having conversations with Steve about staying, but I don't remember any details around it. This took place just as Zucker was about to step down from NBC following Comcast's purchase of NBC Universal. Bob Greenblatt replaced him. Randy Cordray. NBC management had changed, and there was a gentleman in charge of NBC programming by the name of Bob Greenblatt. Speaking in general terms, when a new head of programming takes over a network, the first thing he does is attempt to develop new comedies and new dramas under his watch. He's been hired for a reason. He or she has been hired to revamp a network's programming. We all believed that Bob Greenblatt was not as big a fan of The Office as we wished he would have been. He took The Office for granted. Bob Greenblatt, chairman of NBC Entertainment. I can't remember the sequence of events, but I think Steve was already departing the show when I arrived. I couldn't do anything about that since it preceded me. Terry Weinberg. I think Steve made the decision to leave on his own. Of course, Bob Greenblatt would have wanted to have Steve, and we all wanted to have Steve. But I think he felt he had seen his character progress in a way that was incredibly satisfying to him. And he felt that it was time. And the story had taken him to a place where the character was ready to make that move. And we respected that. Rusty Mahmood. I think he was ready to leave. 
I think he was ready to leave after six and was persuaded to do seven. That's from what I heard. And he was so busy. He had expressed to me how exhausted he was on multiple occasions. Kim Ferry He didn't want to leave the show. He had told the network that he was going to sign for another couple of years. He was willing to, and his agent was willing to, but for some reason, they didn't contact him. I don't know if it was a game of chicken or what. That part, I don't know, because I couldn't believe why they wouldn't want Steve Carell to stay on the show. Maybe they were just trying to wait it out, and then they were going to offer him something lesser. I have no idea. But I'm telling you that Steve wanted to stay on the show. He planned on staying on the show. He told his manager, and his manager contacted them and said he's willing to sign another contract for a couple years. So all of that was willing and ready, and on their side, honest. And the deadline came for when they were supposed to give him an offer, and it passed, and they didn't make him an offer. So his agent was like, well, I guess they don't want to renew you for some reason. Which was insane to me. And to him, I think. Allison Jones. As I recall, he was going to do another season. And then NBC, for whatever reason, wouldn't make a deal with him. Kim Ferry. His manager, Steve Sauer, basically manages three people. Steve, Julie Andrews, and Carol Burnett. I know he would have done anything to keep him on the show. He tried. It really was disappointing. Randy Cordray. I think Steve would have stayed had he been given an offer by the network. Steve loved the show. We always tried to schedule his conflicts so they didn't affect the show. And he loved the people on the show. He loved all of us, and I don't think he was ready to leave. I really think that he would have stayed on longer. But if you're not respected and don't even get offered a contract or a discussion of a future contract... Then you move on. Kim Ferry. We literally had this conversation in the trailer. I will never forget it because I was incredibly sad that he was leaving. He was like, well, they didn't pick up my option. I'm like, how do they not pick it up? I, what? What are you saying? I, I couldn't believe it. He was like, look, I told them I want to do it. I don't want to leave. I don't understand. It just is mind-boggling how that happened. And I feel bad because I think a lot of people think he did leave the show on his own merit, and it's absolutely not true. I'm telling you, I was there. I was there. He really wanted to stay. And it devastated all of us because he was the heart of our show. Roxy Dot, hairstylist. How much money did NBC waste on everything when they could have just paid Steve what he wanted or given him what he was worth? Allison Jones. Somebody didn't pay him enough. It was absolutely asinine. I don't know what else to say about that. Just asinine. This put the writers in the difficult position of having to find a way to write Michael Scott out of the show by the end of the season. Paul Lieberstein. For a while, we had been talking about firing him, and we were going to do it in a way that nobody would think of. 
that when it finally comes to firing him, it's about money, and it was a business mistake that he'd made. A small business mistake that had blown up. And all his behavior was excused, and everything over the years was excused when the money was right, but as soon as he's not the earner, he's out. I don't think it's as much fun for the viewers. Peter Oko. There was a sense that he had to achieve a certain amount of maturity before he left, but I think everyone understood that had its limits, and that we had to respect who he was. You couldn't just heal the guy and then make him a fully functioning member of society and send him away. B.J. Novak. The whole season we would approach by letting Michael grow a bit by the end of each episode, which we generally never did. Paul Lieberstein. Up until this season, Michael would just find a new level of denial to end an episode. B.J. Novak. And that would be funny, but we could start firing off our Michael self-awareness gun because we knew we only had a few bullets anyway. Amelie Gallette. There were definitely a few big things that we wanted to hit with Michael in terms of all the relationships that he had built. And this wasn't just Holly, but we wanted to bring Todd Packer back and have that relationship have a form of closure. There were a few sort of tent poles that they identified and we as a room sort of identified, like moving into it. They definitely wanted the whole season to be a farewell to Michael. Warren Lieberstein. We want to make sure he had an iconic goodbye. Danny Chun. Steve was such an amazing actor, and it felt like, okay, we can really push him in every direction and just let Steve be just amazing. And so the bad boss thing we had done a lot, we were like, okay, we love this guy. Let's let him really sort of experience different things, and let's see him learn and grow and change, and then send him off with really good vibes. B.J. Novak. This was a very strong season because we knew going in what we had to work with and where we were headed toward, and we could just have fun along the way without inventing any big moves or anything. What are the great last Michael stories? This led to episodes where he confronts all his ex-girlfriends after fearing a cold sore was an STD, sex ed, makes peace with his longtime nemesis Toby, counseling, comes to terms with the fact that Ryan isn't quite the stand-up guy he thought he was, woof.com, and finally finishes his dream movie, Threat Level Midnight. Most important, Holly returned to Scranton midway through the season in Classy Christmas. Aaron Sure. We wanted to send him off like he's going to have a better future. I wrote Baby Shower, which is a pivotal moment between him and Jan, where he still has this odd attachment to Jan's baby and tells Holly that while Jan's in the office, he's going to be mean to her. And then when she leaves, he hugs Holly. It's a step toward the right relationship and a step away from the wrong relationship and a step away from the delusions. I think his trajectory starts there. Peter Oko. 
Holly gave Michael a reason to evolve. And I think without that, there was no believable way to get him to change. She offered a direction to point him in that was believable. You understood why he would give up some of the things that both seemed intrinsic to his character, but also beloved. And yet, you could forgive him for moving away from some of those as a viewer, because I think he was so rooting for that relationship. I think it gave him permission in the audience's mind to change, which I think is a difficult situation when you have someone who is beloved for their flaws. You have to give the audience a good reason to change that. Danny Chun When Holly was introduced, it did feel like she loved him for who he was, so it didn't feel like, okay, he's got to completely get rid of all his flaws and you've got to transform in order to end up with Holly. A lot of it felt like he had found his person, but the stars were not aligned at first. What we loved about Holly was that she did love him for his goofy weirdness. Halstead Sullivan Leaving to go be with Holly felt so right for him. I wanted him to end on an up and not on a down because we always wanted people to leave with a positive feeling about office life. And Michael had been through so much, especially with Jan, that I feel like once the Holly idea came up, it just really trumped all the other ideas. And he had grown, especially in that season. We worked hard to give him the tools for what he needed to cope in the world outside of the world of Dunder Mifflin. Warren Lieberstein We weren't going to leave him in the woods and have everyone be like, Oh no, this guy can't feed himself. How are we going to leave this little baby Michael in the woods? We had to make sure that the audience was not going to be worried for him, that they were going to be happy for him. In Garage Sale, Michael proposes to Holly by her desk in the annex, surrounded by so many candles that they set off the smoke alarm and leave them completely soaked when the sprinklers go off. Randy Cordray You can't run the sprinklers on a set without destroying the floor and ruining everything else on the set. So we tore the annex down and moved it off the stage. We then lined the whole floor with bitutine and rebuilt it on top of that. And, by the way, you don't want to douse your actors with icy cold water. So we used a big boiler, and we brought the water up to a kind of swimming pool temperature so that Holly and Michael would not be chilled to death by the frozen water. Now, add to that... Bring in a couple of hundred candles. Well, how do you light them all for a take? Well, we had a crew of special effects guys, like six of them with barbecue lighters, going around to light all the candles. It takes a while to light that many candles. And by the way, all of those candles are putting toxic wax fumes into the air. So I had to rig an air purifier system to drag the toxic fumes up and out of the annex so that we weren't gassing the actors and the crew. Amy Ryan They told all of us the water was going to be warm. Well, the sprinklers go off and it's freezing. It was a shock. And our faces are totally showing an honest reaction, but it doesn't look very pretty. I kind of have a horse face looking expression on. 
we finish and they say cut and the producers are like, okay, we're going to dry everybody off and start all over and do another take. Because I think they wanted something a bit prettier looking and romantic in there. Steve was the director on this one. He said, no, I really want to keep this take because it's just so real, because it's not pretty and it's not romantic. And that should be how Michael and Holly's romantic life is represented. I was glad he stuck with it. It was great. Michael was the focal point of season seven, but a lot of airtime was also devoted to Jim and Pam's new role as parents to baby Cecilia. Peter Oko. When I first started, they had the idea for a christening episode, which is as unsexy an episode as you can possibly pitch. And when they brought it up, the entire room looked at me because I had a lot of kids. And I think the thought was, well, let him write it. And I felt acutely a sense of, how do you keep what we all loved in Jim and Pam in this post-marriage, post-baby world? And it was honestly very difficult. We had to live in that space, and I think it was to the actor's credit and to the writer's credit it managed to keep people's attention. But it was definitely a difficult stretch, I would say. Halsted Sullivan I wouldn't say we struggled but we definitely had to work extra hard to make it work because for so long Jim and Pam were the heart of the show and people on the message boards were always talking about jam. But as opposed to seeing them constantly vying for one another, let's now see them groan. Peter Oko We tried to lean into it and just acknowledge that the office was as much a family for Jim and Pam in season seven as it was for Michael. So when you do this christening episode, you bring the office into that story. And yeah, it felt a little artificial, and I think it certainly stressed the weakest parts of that setup. But it still worked. Warren Lieberstein It was challenging because you had to do relationship stuff and tell believable stories, so people were like, oh yeah, I've sent my kids to daycare and done all this. So you send Jim and Pam on these little excursions or believable journeys and show the hiccups that happen in everyday marriages. Doing that was challenging, but fun. Danny Chun We wanted to honestly portray their arc as a couple and as a family. We understood that we had spent the real drama of them getting together. And at least I personally didn't want to kind of keep recycling that and keep rehashing it over and over. It seemed we were past it. Alan Seppenwall Once Jim and Pam became a couple, the show had some problems writing for them and about them. And there's a point at which they become the smug, popular kids, which is not what they were at the beginning. The Andy-Aaron dynamic was still going strong in Season 7, though it began with her dating Gabe. Danny Chun That came from us feeling like we're doing a comedy version of a will-they-won't-they as opposed to the Pam and Jim. And that relationship was very funny, but was also at times very dramatic and very soapy and very emotional. So I think once we leaned into the idea of, let's tell the funny version of this 
and the less soapy version that led us to who's the last person in the world but still believable that Andy would sort of go nuts, go crazy about Aaron dating. That's where the idea came from. Aaron finds Gabe pretty repulsive, but she says she agreed to date him because he is her superior. Ellie Kemper. Please take this with a grain of salt, but I think Aaron is me at times. I understand that instinct of like, oh, I'm supposed to do this. I don't want to hurt his feelings. He's the boss. I have to. And I sort of get that. I mean, I would never act on that, but I understand her unique reasoning behind it. The obvious move would have been to bid Steve Carell farewell during the season finale, but he actually left with three episodes remaining in the season. Danny Chun. The idea was, this is not the Michael Scott show, this is a show about this office. The people in the office might change, but it's ultimately about the place and sort of the spirit of the place. So we ultimately decided that if Michael leaves on the very last episode, then it does feel like we've said, this is the Michael Scott show. Shortly before Michael left, Will Farrell came on as new boss D'Angelo Vickers. Will Farrell, D'Angelo Vickers, Season 7. I was over at CAA in a meeting with my manager and my agents, and we were just going through projects, and at the end of it, I just said, Hey, I know it's Steve's last year. I'd love to go on and just do a cameo. It just popped into my head. I was watching an episode on an American Airlines flight or whatever. I just thought, God, that'd be fun. My TV agent was like, what? Oh, my God, really? I was like, yeah. Oh, they'll go crazy. They'll flip for that. Now, the only thing is, would you want to do more than one? Sure enough, they responded in kind and were like, would he do like a whole character arc? Yeah, let's do it. Danny Chun. He really did just volunteer. We were so stressed out about what you do the next day after Michael is gone. That was the most sort of stressful and intimidating episode to think about. And really, Will was like, what if I came in for a few episodes? Would that help? And we were like, yep, of course it would help. Halsted Sullivan. By bringing in Will Ferrell, we wanted to say, look, the show is still continuing. It was also just a great way to energize the ending and not make it feel maudlin. Danny Chun. It really felt like a gift that he gave us. What it allowed us to do writing-wise was just to have a bridge, a really interesting and different bridge, so that the first episode after Michael wasn't simply the Michaelless episode. Will Ferrell. It was a little intimidating at first because that cast is like a well-oiled machine, and they know each other so well. David Rogers Will really came in with positive energy, happy to be there. I think everybody was happy to have him there. Warren Lieberstein It was really such a nice, generous gift of Will to give us because it was a bittersweet time. Everyone was so sad about Steve leaving that the presence of Will Ferrell there was 
like a soothing balm to put over the situation of everyone's sadness. Everyone felt like it took some of the sting off. Greg Daniels. He couldn't do anything that wasn't really funny. I don't see how he could have if he tried. Randy Cordray. Will was just a wonderful man. This was another one who I would have to go and say, you know, Will, we need your first thing in the morning, and then we're not going to need you until last thing in the evening. If you want to disappear for six, seven hours, just sit near your cell phone and let me call you when we need you. And he was like, ah, heck no, you know you guys have provided a nice trailer for me, and I saw a basketball hoop out there. You got a basketball? I said, sure, Props has a basketball. Hey, I'll go up to shoot hoops. So Will Ferrell would hang out for hours behind the warehouse set, just shooting hoops with some of our crew people who weren't busy at the moment, like electricians or camera guys or grips. I said to them, go shoot hoops with Will. We'll call you if we need you. Basketball played a key role in extracting the D'Angelo Vickers character from the Dunder Mifflin universe. In the episode, The Inner Circle, Vickers tries to slam dunk a basketball in the warehouse, but winds up getting a horrific injury when he falls and lands on his head. That set up a cliffhanger where nobody knew who would become the boss in the next season. Randy Cordray It was strange not having Steve around, but the show went on and the writers were trying to figure out how to gracefully end the season. So after the final episode was Search Committee, where we went through all the various cameos of people coming by and applying for the job. Brent Forrester. What you see there is this interesting move that we tried, which was to do a story arc about searching for the new boss that should also seem to the audience like we're casting a bunch of new actors here, and one of whom will become the boss of the office. Now, that's kind of what was happening behind the scenes. All the actors you saw coming in, Ray Romano, Catherine Tate, James Spader, Ricky Gervais, Jim Carrey, were meant to be creating interest in the audience's mind of like, I wonder who's actually going to become the new boss.